Well, beloved, it is a joy, as always, uh, to be able to stand before you. Uh, it's certainly a privilege to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. Again, I would ask that you keep Brother Brian and family in prayer as they travel. They are always missed. Um, but it is a great honor, indeed, to be able to stand before you at this at this sacred desk. Take your Bible that I pray you have brought with you this morning and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter. Now, no, as I was accused earlier today, I'm not cheating. There are, we are as a Sunday school, uh, as a church, going through the book of 1 Peter right now. If you are not in a Sunday school class, I would encourage you, I would plead with you to come be a part of a Sunday school class as we seek to walk verse by verse through right now the book of 1 Peter. Uh, I don't know about you, but it has been a joy to walk through this book. Um, it has been. Um, Rejoicing at times, it has been troubling at times as the Word of God has uh, cut deep in many areas. And I, I know that for many of you who are going through, walking through this book with me, uh, it has done the same to you. So if you're not part of a Sunday school class, let me encourage you to do so. Um, come to one, sit for a week or two, and then maybe go to another and sit for a week. Find where, where you fit, find where you feel comfortable. But it is um, nonetheless part of our core value of being um, of displaying biblical fidelity but also a determined discipleship as we seek to grow in the Lord together. First Peter chapter uh, 2 verses 1 through 3 will be my focus for today but just for a little context I'm going to begin with chapter 1 verse 22 and then we'll talk a little bit about um, the book of first Peter and and go on from there. But hear the word of the Lord this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And may God add His blessing to the reading of His Word this morning. 
If you have been traveling with us through 1 Peter in Sunday school, then you know a few facts about this epistle, this letter that Peter excuse me, is writing to believers, to the churches that are in exile. They are far off. They are uh, in several places that he mentions back in chapter 1, verse 1. He mentions these and calls these the places of the dispersion, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And he's writing to these believers, but we also know that the approximate date of writing is around A.D. 64. And at that time in history, we know that Rome was the superpower of the day. And at that point in time, Christians, because of Nero and subsequently others, began to be extremely persecuted in the provinces of Rome under the Roman Empire. And you can go read in Christian history books about the atrocities that they experienced. It is not pleasant. We have not even begun to experience suffering like this, much less persecution like this, here in America. I would encourage you to go and to read about these. To begin to at least understand, at least begin to have a, a, a sphere of knowledge or at least have some sort of box where you can put what it was that these believers went through in order to take the gospel ultimately to the ends of the earth. And at the time of Peter's writing, these believers were experiencing this. They had family members, they had friends, brothers and sisters in Christ who were dying at the hands of Rome and dying for the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. We would recognize this area today as around modern-day Turkey, just to give you a way in terms of view in your mind and the map. And speaking of Turkey, I have a, a brother in Christ who's, who's for safety reasons name I, I cannot mention. I have known this brother for quite some time now, probably over 10 years. It is over 10 years. And he is a missionary to the Syrian and Turkey border. So if you've been following it for any length of time, you know that there was a mass exodus from Syria due to wars and they infiltrated in Turkey. And he has played an a integral role in trying to minister to those refugees, to provide them food and shelter. It's, it's a horrific situation that um, they are experiencing and continue to experience. But he has played a part of this for quite some time. In fact, he is actually from there. He is from that area. In fact, he was a Muslim initially. He was a Muslim priest and by the grace of God was converted to Christ. But understand that he himself paid a true cost for his conversion in following Christ. He himself has experienced true persecution for the faith. And I tell you that to give you some sort of modern day example of what that looks like even today. My brother experienced horrific methods of torture. They were placed upon him time and time again that I will not go into today. But he experienced them nonetheless. 
even to such the extent that they affect him physically today. He has lifelong injuries that will never go away as a result of this torture that he experienced. And all because of one reason. All because they sought to get him to do one thing, and that was renounce the Word of God. And by God's grace, he did not. Why? Because then, as it is even to this day, He echoes with the Apostle Peter that it is because he has been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. It's who he is and it's what he desires. Well, beloved, today as we look at 1 Peter, I want us to see that the Apostle is seeking to encourage believers. He's encouraging believers to faithfulness in Christ, His Word, sanctification, in spite of their persecution, their ongoing persecution. Understand, beloved, that Peter does not give his readers a pass because of their hardship. Rather, he exhorts them to rejoice in it and and to even, in this process, correct sinful behavior and attitudes that had emerged toward possibly one another, but definitely toward their persecutors, definitely toward their enemies. Peter gives this exhortation so that the name of Christ may not be maligned, but rather glorified for all to see. In our text today, verses 1 through 3 that we're going to focus on, Peter instructed believers that they were in Christ. That not just they were in Christ, but if they were in Christ because he's writing to the church. And if you are part of the church, beloved, you are a professing believer. He's writing to the church and he's writing to believers, encouraging them, instructing them that if they are in Christ, they must rid themselves of sin and desire the Word of God alone. Well, beloved, First Baptist, If we claim, as we do, to profess Christ as members of this local body covenant together, but as members of His bride, as members of His church, if we claim to profess Christ, then we must rid ourselves of sin and desire the Word of God alone. Well, let's look at our text today specifically that gives us these instructions and what it means to us. Peter begins in verse 1, and by saying this, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm reading this, and I've already started with chapter 1, verse 1, and I get to chapter 2, verse 1, this is interesting for me. It's it's an interesting list of sins that Peter has laid out. A list of sins that Peter says we are to put away. That the believers he is writing to there, they are to put away. And the immediate question that comes to my mind is, why? Why this list of sins, Peter? Why are you writing and instructing them in the midst of everything that is going on Why are you saying, put these sins away? Why here, Peter? And if you would, I would like for you to just pin that 
to the side for just a moment. That question, because we're going to answer it in just a few moments. But first, I I think it is prudent for us that before we seek to answer why, we need to answer the question of what. What are the sins that we are being commanded to put away? Well, let's look at them as Peter lays them out for us. The first sin that he mentions here is malice. Now, how is malice defined here? Well, in, in our context here, it is an evil desire to harm. It is a hatred for someone else. One example that we can take from the Scriptures is, think about the brothers of Joseph in Genesis. They had a hatred for their brother. In fact, we see that in the text itself, that long before they sold him to slavery, they hated him. They had a desire for evil to happen to him, for for harm to come to him. That is malice. What about deceit? Well, deceit is a desire to intentionally mislead. Intentionally mislead. Think about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts. Well, what did they do? They attempted to make it look like to the church that all of their proceeds from selling property were going to the church. When the entire time they were fully aware that they had sold it for more than they were reporting. They were seeking to intentionally mislead others about themselves. Hang on to that. Hypocrisy. What what is hypocrisy? A desire to intentionally pretend to be someone you are not. When we look at the Greek word in that, it's, it's uh, where we even get our word for theater from almost, and, and the idea of wearing a mask. In fact, that's what the picture is for us, is I'm wearing a mask, I'm pretending to be someone that I am not. And I am a hypocrite. Jesus often referred to the Jewish leaders as hypocrites, as they pretended to be of God, when in fact they were not. Envy. What is envy? A desire to have what is rightly someone else's. Again, Joseph's brothers can come to mind when we think about this. They longed to have their father's attention. What was it that they hated about Joseph? Was he a brat? Yes. Was he arrogant? Yes. Did he run his mouth too much? Yes. But at the end of the day, Joseph had something and was receiving something that his brothers were not, and that was the love and affection of their father. And they were jealous of that to the point that they wanted it so much that harm would come to Joseph. Lastly, a slander. What is slander? A desire to malign someone's character by speaking falsely about them. We don't have to go very far in the Gospels to see this demonstrated to our Lord and Savior over and over again. Intentionally telling a falsehood that is going to harm the character of someone else. Remember, even the Pharisees themselves accused Jesus' miracles of being of who? Of Satan himself. They were seeking to malign his character. But, beloved, the interesting thing to note in this list here is that hypocrisy 
envy and slander are all seedbeds that end up producing malice and deceit. Do you see that for just a moment? If I envy and I slander and I am a a hypocrite, then what I'm going to end up doing is seeking harm of my neighbor or at least seeking at least to mislead them in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But even more importantly, these desires are from within. You can slander and never say a word. You can envy and never say a word. You can be a hypocrite and never say a word. These desires come from within. And what is the purpose? The purpose is to to mask who you really are. That's the intent. To be or to demonstrate to the outside world someone who you are not on the inside. I slander my neighbor. Why? Well, wait a minute now. Others really need to know what this person is like. (laughs) No. I slander because I desire their harm and I desire to mislead people about this person. I envy my neighbor. Why? Well, come on, Trey. They really don't deserve those things. No. It's because I desire those things. And I'm even desiring them to such the extent that I wish they didn't have them. And maybe I can deceive them in order to get it. I'm a hypocrite. Why? Well, Trey, it's not really about what I do, but what I say. That's what really matters. No. It's because deep down, your desire is you want people to believe a lie about you. Which ultimately deceives them and causes them harm. Beloved, I want you to see today that these are weighty matters. These are heavy sins upon us that occur deep within our heart. And yet, Peter instructs believers. He's instructing the church to put them away. In fact, did you catch in the text, he says, to put them all away. Did you see that? He says, put away all malice, all hypocrisy, all slander. What does he mean in that? Meaning that to put away every instance against every person that is happening. If it is happening toward a believer, put it away. If it is happening toward an unbeliever, put it away. If it is happening even toward your persecutors, put it away. Consider yourself, beloved. Which one or more of these sins do you need to put away? If you say, well, none, Trey, I would never do those type of things. Then you are deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself and you're also deceiving others. You're not being truthful with yourself and the gravity of your sin. Calvin rightly said that our hearts are idle factories. That we just make things that are idols and lay them before us 
time and time and time again. You may say, well, Trey, I've not harmed anyone. Maybe not. But understand, beloved, these are internal matters of the heart. These are desires. This is what Peter is getting at. Put away the desire even. Not the fact that you didn't slander someone verbally out there externally, but internally you slandered them within your heart. And that is what Peter is saying. To put away malice, deceit. Do you harbor these desires? This is why we need to examine our hearts. Do we think wrongly about our brother or sister in Christ? Do we we look at them and go, I wish I had what they had. I would love their stuff. And they really don't deserve it. Look at who they are. Well, I tell you what, just let something happen to them and then we'll really get to see who they are. Do we wish the worst for our brothers and sisters in Christ? What about our enemies? By the way, Paul tells us that we are to love our enemies. Are we wishing the worst for our enemies? Desiring the worst within our hearts? These are desires, beloved, which must be put away as part of our sanctification, as part of our growth and maturity in Christ, which as a believer we are all called to do. So, if we are to put away these desires, then what are we to desire? (laughs) It does us no good to just put things away if we're not seeking to put things on, as Paul says in Colossians and Ephesians, we're putting off the old and we're putting on the new. So what is Peter telling us to put on here? Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2 there. He says, like newborn infants, long You may have the word desire for the pure spiritual milk. Now, what is the spiritual milk? We need to deal with that. We need to define what that is. Peter is speaking here of the Word of God. This is identified for us by the previous context in chapter 1, verse 23, where he says, we read it a while ago, that they have been born again by the living and abiding Word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 40. And he concludes with that it was this very word, this gospel that was preached to them. And Peter is saying that they must desire the word just like a newborn baby desires their mother's milk. Do you know what the first reaction of a healthy newborn baby is to do? Desire their mother's milk. That's what they seek to do. Now, just as a note of clarification, Peter is not making the same comparison as the Apostle does in 1 Corinthians 3 and Hebrews 5 in regards to milk. There, Paul is admonishing them for their immaturity in the Word. He's saying... You should be more knowledgeable in the Word. You should be more mature. Your sustenance, your food rather, what you are eating, should not be milk, it should be meat. 
But here, that's not what Peter is speaking about. That's not what Peter is saying. Peter is, is not speaking about what type of sustenance, but rather the substance itself. And he's calling this the substance of life. Our life. The source of life. The Word of the living God. And just as the Word has brought us life, the Word is also our source of growth. Look at what Peter says. Go on in verse 2. He says that by it, the Word, you may grow up into salvation. We'll, We'll grow up how? Putting off sin? Yes. Putting on Christ? Yes. Does that mean grow into mature manhood in Christ? Yes. He tells them that it was this gospel that was preached to them and it was through the Word that they were saved. And now it is by the Word that they will grow up. So desire it, He says. Desire it. If Christ has saved you, you must. But it's not just sanctification. Peter is thinking further out. He's thinking further out, just as he does in chapter 1, verse 3, talking about the outcome of your faith. Peter is thinking about the completion of our salvation, where we are not just in Christ, but we are with Christ. Amen? Did you know that is the completion of your salvation? That is the culmination when you stand before Christ face to face and He looks at you and says, Well done, that good and faithful service servant. Your process of salvation has been completed. He has brought you from the depths of sin, hell, and the grave. He has transformed you through the power of God and given you a new life. He has molded and made you into the image of Christ. And now He sets you before Himself free from the power and the presence of sin. Amen. Thank you. That is what Peter is referring to. He says, this is to be your desire. As one theologian stated, the baby does not tire of having breast milk every day. It desires it as if it had never had it before. In the same way, the child of God has an untiring appetite for the Word. It is fresh to Him each day, and He takes His delight in it daily. With David, the law became His meditation day and night. In contrast to this, though, the natural man quickly tires of the Word. Beloved, hear me today. What is your desire toward the Word of God? Do you find yourself longing for the Word of God? Longing to read it more and more and to dive in and to partake of its food? To partake of Christ? Or does it become more and more burdensome? More and more tiring? Beloved, that begins to lay out where we are in relation to Christ. It is evidence for us. Peter goes on to say that it is found, this food, this nourishment, this growth 
our sanctification, that it is found in the Word and the Word of God alone. And I say the word alone with great intent, especially in light of one word that Peter uses. Did you catch it? We read over it while ago. He says to long for the, what? Pure spiritual milk. Now that's interesting. Pure spiritual milk. Have you ever watched a baby... When attempts are made to mix something in their milk that they've been drinking since day one, they go, nope, not happening. I've even seen them. I'm not saying it happened from any of these over here. But what I'm saying is when it was introduced, as soon as it went in, as quickly and as forcefully it went out. Why? Because it wasn't the pure milk that they were used to. Peter is saying, do not contaminate the Word by trying to mix in something else. It is the Word and the Word of God alone. You cannot contaminate the Word along with the world's practices. Hear me today, beloved. We are to practice a biblical worldview. We are to seek to develop what the Bible says about every aspect of our life and we are to follow its instructions and follow its commands and conform ourselves to what the Word of God says, not seek to conform the Word to us. Just as the desire of a newborn baby cannot be satisfied with anything less than pure milk, as a Christian, neither should you be satisfied with anything less than the Word of God alone. I love to hear you speak of you growing in the Word. Why? Why are you desiring to know more biblical teaching? Why are you desiring the expositional preaching of the Word? Because a true believer desires it and they will not be satisfied with anything less. You're no longer satisfied with pragmatism. You're no longer satisfied with man-centered worship. You're no longer satisfied with just surface-level topical preaching. You're no longer satisfied with cliches. But you actually want to know the answers to your questions and you want to know them from the Word. And beloved, I came here today to tell you that the Word of God has all the answers to all your questions. They are there. But you have to seek them out. And a believer in Christ is desirous to do so. These believers that Peter is writing to were facing real persecution. And Peter tells them, this is a test of your faith. So run to the well and drink from the living water. Drink this pure milk called the Word of God. What are they to do? They are to love and they are to put away malice. What are they not to do? They are not to revile and they are not to revenge against their enemies and against their persecutors. Why? Because the Lord Himself, the Word of God Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, did not. And neither are we 
He is our example. We are to desire the Word, beloved. We must prepare now. Just as Peter calls them to prepare now. Why? Because the trial is coming. Whether it be a trial of suffering, whether it be a trial of tribulation, whether it be a trial of some sort of disruption in your life, beloved, your test of faith, which is, by the way, what Peter calls all of this in chapter 1, your test of faith is coming. And you must prepare for it now. How? Study the Word. Study the Word. Drink the pure milk now. Because suffering is knocking at your door. And beloved, persecution is knocking at our door. While it may not be in your lifetime, you can very well guarantee that it will be in your grandchild's lifetime, in your great-grandchild's lifetime. The descent is continuing. Persecution is going to come for the faith. The devil is on the prowl seeking whom he may destroy. And beloved, just as we sang today, we must stand firm. And if you're not preparing to stand firm on the Word of God, you will not. And beloved, again, this is not mere knowledge. This is not simply that you know what the Bible says. As Brother Brian spoke of last Lord's Day, your desire is to know Christ. That is your desire. And we know Christ through His Word. Do you know that there are many, and I pray not, but there may be even some sitting here in these pews today, who believe that Jesus came to this earth born of a virgin. Who believe that Jesus died on a cross, who believed that Jesus was resurrected from the grave on the third day. But beloved, they believe it in knowledge, simple knowledge, head knowledge only. They have no desire to know His Word, no desire to kill sin, and no desire to mature in the faith. Just because you believe those things doth not make you a Christian. As believers, we put away sin. We put away the desire to sin. And we desire the Word. We want to drink the Word. We long for it like a newborn baby longs after our mother's milk. This brings us now back to the question of why. Why? Why, Peter? Why these things? Why not just give an encouraging word to these believers? I mean, no, I'm not being persecuted for the faith, but my faith is being tested. I'm experiencing trials and I'm experiencing sufferings. Why can't you just give me a good word, Peter? Why can't you just encourage me? Why why are you telling me to put these things away? Why you got to get in my business, Peter? Peter is simply getting to the heart, beloved. The sins laid out for us today are evil desires of the heart that must be killed. And yet the irony is that as he is writing, Peter knows full well 
what these believers are experiencing. Friends and family are being persecuted. They are being killed for the faith. But Peter says you can't have these desires in your heart. These are void of love. They are characteristics of the old self. They do not follow the example of Christ. And this is why in verse 3, Peter says this. Look at verse 3 with me. He says, if indeed, if indeed, if, if, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is Peter's whole point in writing. He's been making this point since chapter 1 verse 3 when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, you have tasted this. You have tasted His goodness. You have tasted His mercy. You have tasted the grace of God. How? Well, you yourself make the very profession that you have been born again. What does that mean? That means the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was preached to you. That you were a sinner. That you did not obey Christ. The commands of God. You fell short of His glory. You fell short of His perfect obedience which He required His righteousness in order to have a relationship with Him. You fell short. And you were bound for an eternity separated from Him in a place called hell. A place of eternal punishment and condemnation. And by the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He saved you from that. As Peter says, He caused you to be born again. And you call out to Him in faith and repentance of your sins. And you trust in the work of Jesus Christ. What was that work? He came to this earth and lived a perfect, righteous life. Never committing a sin. And He died on a cruel criminal's cross, paying the sin debt for all who would ever trust in Him as Lord and as Savior, taking away their sin, their guilt, their shame, their curse. He Himself became a curse for us on that cross so that we would not have to suffer an eternity apart from Him. So that we could have a living hope. So that we could have eternal life. And three days later, He rose again from the dead, having defeated death, hell, and the grave, that all who may come to Him in belief and trust and in faith and repentance of their sins and saying, Christ, it is no longer My way, but it is Your way that I want to live, will find that they have eternal life and fellowship with Him. Peter says you have tasted this goodness. You have tasted this grace and you have tasted this mercy. And if you have tasted this goodness of God in Christ, you are a new creation. You have new thinking. You have new attitudes. You put away the old because you have been born again. You've been purified. You've been washed. Beloved, we have new desires to love our neighbor, even our enemy. We desire the Word. We drink the Word because we have tasted the goodness of God in Christ and we want more. 
And we taste the goodness of Christ to such the extent that when we start to taste the old ways, when those old ways and desires begin to to swell up within our heart, we hate them and we spit them out. This is what it means to be born again, beloved. This is what it means to be supernaturally changed by the Holy Spirit that results in an ever-growing desire to be like Christ and to seek to put away sin and drink from the pure milk of the Word of God. There is no second option. Beloved, Peter didn't give his fellow believers who were being murdered for the faith a pass. And beloved, we don't get one either. Beloved, if we claim to profess Christ, if we claim to have been born again by the power of God, then we must rid ourselves of sin and desire the Word of God alone. Is this you? Do you desire the Word like a newborn baby does milk? Do you desire the Word, Christian? Unbeliever, if you are here today and you don't have that desire, is there a a burning within you to repent of your sin and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior? I call you to that today. I plead with you. I beg of you. Call out to Christ today. And you will taste the goodness of of God by His mercy and His grace. Let's pray together.